0: Would you open your Bibles, please, to Philippians, the first chapter? The first chapter of Philippians, in a moment, we'll read, beginning with verse 9. When you pray for your family, how do you pray? Probably you pray for health. You pray for protection. You may pray for them to do well in school or to prosper at work. And all of those things are absolutely appropriate, and that is certainly the way that we pray for our family. How do you pray for your friends? How do you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of this church along with you? How do you pray for one another? I believe we're going to find some good direction in this passage this morning from the Apostle Paul as we continue to look at this epistle to the church in Philippi. This is our third in the series. Paul is in prison, and he writes with some assistance of some measure from Timothy. He gives Timothy some credit here for this epistle in the very first verse. And so we've entitled the theme, From Servants, Paul and Timothy, to Servants, the believers in the church in Philippi, about the servant. That is, about Jesus Christ. And so we have observed, Paul has a deep love for the church, but particularly a deep love for the church in Philippi. So, the question, how can we pray for one another? How can we pray for one another? How can we pray for those we love? How can we pray for those we care about? How can we pray for those who are in our hearts? And that's the title of the message. Praying for those who are in our hearts. Let's see what Paul suggests for us as he tells us how he prayed For the church in Philippi. And what can we do with that passage. As we reflect upon praying. For each other. Let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Verse 9. Of Philippians 1. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound. More and more. In knowledge. And depth of insight. So that. You may be able to discern. What is best. And may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You may be seated. Paul says in verse 9 this is my prayer. He informs the church in Philippi, the Philippian believers and us this is what I pray when I pray for you. The first 11 verses of this epistle are are an introduction. And so in that introduction, Paul brings prayer to the forefront in the fourth verse. And you'll remember it from last week. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. The church in Philippi brought joy to the heart of Paul. Just as church you bring joy to, to my heart. Paul says you bring joy to my heart. And it is a joy that comes from our partnership in the gospel. That's what holds us together. It isn't the color of our skin. It isn't our economic background. It isn't our educational attainments or lack thereof it isn't any of those things that hold us together what holds us together as a people is the gospel of Jesus Christ and so with that in mind and with Paul uttering this prayer for the church in Philippi and with us thinking about praying for those who are in our hearts there are four things that I want us to see in the text and the very first one is abounding love. Look at verse 9 once again. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Abounding love. Now, in the text, love has... There's no object in, in the text. Now, usually when we say, I love someone, you know, we've got an object. Like I say, I love Sharon, my wife, I love my children, I love my grandchildren there 's an object to that love there's an object to the to, to to the sentence. so who is he talking about when he talks about this abounding love? My prayer for you is is abounding love, more and more and more love. Paul was praying that love would overflow from us to God and toward one another. In other words, Paul is talking about an outward, vertical, and horizontal love that we have for God and for one another. And he prays that this love will be in abundance. That's why he uses the word abound. It will be in abundance. Perhaps Paul's vast knowledge of the Scripture which we would call the Old Testament, his vast knowledge of the Old Testament, comes into play here. Maybe he was thinking specifically of the division between the Ten Commandments, because you'll remember in your reading and studying of the Ten Commandments that the first four commandments address our relationship to God, that vertical relationship, and indeed the love relationship that we have to God. And Commands 5 through 10 address the horizontal relationship we have with one another, and indeed in this context, the love that we have for one another. So Paul addresses the vertical, and he addresses the horizontal. I pray that your love will overflow in every direction, the vertical and the horizontal, that you will increase in your love for God, and, and you will increase in, in your love for one another more, more, more. Paul says that's his prayer for the church in Philippi. Can you pray this prayer for your family? Absolutely, you can. First Baptist Belton, as your pastor, I see your love for God and I see your love for one another. And as Paul prayed for the church he loved, so I pray for you. And I pray that our love will grow more and more, that our love for God will abound, that our love for each other will abound, that it will overflow in superabundance. So that's the first thing, abounding love. The second thing that we notice from the text is knowledge and insight. Look again at verse 9. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more. The vertical, the horizontal. More and more. In knowledge and depth of insight. In knowledge and depth of insight. So Paul's prayer for the church in in Philippi is not without shape, and form. He is praying that the church will grow in its knowledge of God and His Word. Let, let me share with you uh, something that Frank Sheed wrote in a book on this text. He said, a virtuous man may be ignorant, but ignorance is not a virtue. It would be a strange God Who could be loved better by being known less? Love of God is not the same thing as knowledge of God. Love of God is immeasurably more important than knowledge of God. But if a man loves God knowing a little about him, he should love God more from knowing more about him. For every new thing known about God is a new reason for loving him. So he is saying, and Paul is saying, very simply, the more we know about God, the more we will love him. And so Paul is praying for the church in Philippi, and we apply this to ourselves. He is praying for knowledge. And the word, the Greek word that he used there is epinosis. And that word Paul uses 15 times in his epistles, and every time he uses it, it means knowledge of God or Christ. Knowledge of God and Christ. And every time in the context, it is passionate and personal. Listen to how he uses it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with, with the knowledge of His will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, listen to how he uses the word in uh, the little book of uh, Philemon, in the sixth verse of Philemon. I pray... That your partnership with us, there's that word again, your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your understanding, your knowledge of Christ. And then a few moments ago, I prayed for you today, the verse in Ephesians chapter 1 believe so it's easy to see that the kind of love Paul is talking about is not a sentimental love it is love that is a work of the Holy Spirit brought to us by the Holy Spirit through the word of God in are you church each person are you in the Word of God. Is your knowledge of God growing? As our knowledge of God grows, the Scripture tells us that our love will grow and our love will overflow. And the overflow will be both vertical and horizontal. Our love for God and our love for one another, the more we know about God and we learn about Him from Scripture, the more that we know about God, the more that we will love God, and the more we will love one another. It is an overflowing love. So, if your love for God seems to be rather shallow then the reason is that your knowledge of God is is shallow, and the good news is that is a correctable situation. So, church, here in this place, without apology, we prioritize the Scripture. We prioritize the Bible in, in worship, in Sunday school, in life groups for adults and youth and college students, in, in disciple life, Sunday evenings, in awanas, and all the things, everything that goes on in our church, we prioritize the scripture so that we may learn more about God. And when we learn more about God, we will love Him more and we will love one another more. So our eyes, are wide open to who God is and what He does. And Scripture must be in our soul because the more you know, the more you love Him, the more you love Him, the more you love one another. Warren Wearsby relates in one of his books that he was praying for a lady and her husband in his church, she had been very, very ill, had had a stroke, had now not fully recovered, but enough to where she could come back to church. But now her husband was very ill and, and quite frankly, was not expected to to be around a whole lot longer. And so he saw her in church on Sunday morning and assured her of his prayers for her. And most of the time, when you say you're praying for somebody, they say, thank you. I appreciate that. So he was a bit taken off guard when she said, what are you asking God to do? (laughs) So he said, I'm asking God to help you and strengthen you. And she said, I appreciate that. But I want you to pray about one more thing. Pray that I'll have the wisdom not to waste all of this. you realize what she was saying? In the midst of this extremely difficult time for me, for my husband, for my family, I'm praying that I will have wisdom from God, the knowledge of God, not to waste what he wants to teach me and what he wants me to. To do as a result of what I am currently experiencing. That is amazing, perhaps a bit unusual, but without question, very scriptural. And so may we, even in the midst of difficulty, ask God, give me wisdom. That I will not waste. This experience. But will have knowledge. And insight. To know what you want me. To do. Uh, in, in 2011. Um, a John. Well known pastor John Piper. Had cancer. The same. Cancer that I'd had. Two years before. And. As a result, he wrote a book, and it's entitled, very simply, Don't Waste Your Cancer. And the premise of the book was, God, I don't know what you're going to do in regard to healing me or not healing me, but I don't want to waste the experience. That was my prayer. I just didn't have enough sense to put it in a book. And so God, as we know Him better, becomes more and more real to us. And we love Him more. And as we love Him more, we love one another with an abounding love. Now, the third the third thing from the text is discernment. Look, look at verse 10 again, please. Verse 10 so that praise praise you have knowledge depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best that you may be able to discern what is best there is a spiritual gift of discernment that god gives us through the holy spirit to some people like the gifts of the spirit some of us have this gift that gift we don't have them all but every believer has at least one. And some are given the gift of spiritual discernment. It's amazing the insight and discernment. But you don't have to have that particular spiritual gift in order to have some discernment and insight. Because Paul prays it for the whole church in Philippi. And we pray that for each other. That the word of God will inform us. And that we will have insight for Practical daily living. When the the book of Proverbs, which is one of the most practical books in all the Bible, when the book of Proverbs was translated from Hebrew to Greek, the Greek translation of that word discern or discernment is found 22 times. The same word that Paul uses here in Philippians, the same word that he uses elsewhere in his prayers for his people, and it speaks of practical conduct informed by the Holy Spirit, by the, informed by the Scripture, and applied by the Holy Spirit. It, it's a practical conduct informed by Scripture and applied in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I was reading the testimony uh, this week. Of uh, the pastor of the Young Nock Presbyterian Church in South Korea. It's the largest Presbyterian church in the world. Has over 50,000 members. I can hardly even imagine 50,000 members. So he was being asked, in a 50,000 member church, how do you go about selecting your elders? Uh, and, and so he said, we, we test Perspective elders. And we give them a test in four areas. He said the four areas are. The Bible. Theology. Church history. And common sense. I thought what? Common sense. What book of the Bible is that? Common sense. Wait a minute. Common sense is. The discernment. That Paul is praying for the church in Philippi that you might have discernment to know what is right, what is wrong, what is best, what is second best, and the way that you should go, not only as individuals, but as a church. Paul prays for the church to possess discernment. Now that brings us to the last thing, the fourth thing, uh, readiness for his return. Look again at verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best. And may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, I'm praying for you for a readiness for the return of Christ, which, by the way, is 2,000 years closer ...than it was when Paul wrote the letter to the church in Philippi. To discern what is best, to, distinguished, to distinguish right from wrong, but also best from second best. Sometimes as, as a church, decisions that we face are along this line... Here are two things to do. We can't do them both. So what is best and what is second best? We pray to God for discernment so that we will know what is best for us to do as as his people. So he prays for readiness for the church in Philippi, particularly in three areas. The first is the area of purity and blamelessness. Purity and blamelessness. The word pure or purity means unmixed. Nothing mixed up in there. Purity. Transparent hearts. Pure desires. Moral wisdom. I would submit that that is an imperative in a day of truth being relative, in a day of no moral abstracts, no no moral absolutes, we we need moral wisdom. We need purity in the day in which we live. Perhaps now more than ever. Um, I remember when I was growing up, when we lived out in the country. We had a, a big we had a creek that ran through our property. about seventy five yards from our house. It's a fun place to play. But it flooded frequently. And uh, on on the house side of the creek, it was pretty... It was just a little rise from the creek. So it always flooded toward the house. But there were no trees on that side because it used to be a cornfield. So there there were no trees on that side. But on the other side of the creek, there were big trees lining the bank, created shade. It was really, really pretty. Very pretty. But I remember one... Summer day when it rained like crazy and the creek flooded and one of those big oak trees, huge tree, just fell over. And we saw it. We were looking out the window. We saw it fall. So a few hours later when the rain had stopped and the water had gone back down, my dad and I went down to the creek so we could see what we needed to do to clear out the the oak tree. And so I was fully expecting that when we got there, we would find that it had been uprooted; that the roots had been it just been toppled over, roots and all. But I was surprised to find that it wasn't that the roots were still there, and and there was a a hefty stump still there. That the tree had been snapped off at some portion of the water level; had been snapped off. And when we got close, it was easy to see. The tree that had been, had looked so nice on the outside was rotten on the inside. And I don't know all that much about what causes rot in trees, but I think there were some little bugs who got in there over a long period of time, and they did their work and weakened the tree so that it could no longer stand in the storm, and it toppled over. And I think that's exactly what we need to think about when Paul talks to us about Purity. Because it isn't our greatest temptation, isn't that something huge will come along, and all of a sudden we topple over what is most likely is that there are the little things that we let into our lives a little bit by little bit by little bit, and soon we lose our our purity, and then we are susceptible to anything and so Paul is praying for the church in Philippi for purity and blamelessness, and the word blameless means no stumbling Isn't that interesting no stumbling paul says i'm praying that you'll be pure and i'm praying that you won't stumble you won't stumble along the way and then he prays for the for their fruitfulness the fruit of the spirit remember from galatians 5 the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. And remember, we observed this last week. It's not like you have one of those, but not some of the others. That may be, that, that's true in spiritual gifts. You have one or two, but you don't have them all. But what is true of the fruit of the Spirit is that you as a believer have every single one of them. The issue may be that sometimes we need to let it out. Let, let them out. They're trapped inside and we need to let them out. So the fruit of the Spirit, fruitful living, living out the gospel. A tree that bears fruit is alive. That's good news. But a tree filled with fruit glorifies the gardener's care. And in our case, brings glory to God. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 8, this is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So, 1st Baptist Belton, may your branches hang low with the weight of fruit from your life. Lastly, he talks about the glory of God right at the end of The uh, 11th of the 11th verse, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's his doxology for the introduction, uh, the doxology to the glory of God. Someone has said, all who cast themselves on God find that they are carried into endless joy by God's omnipotent commitment to his own joy. And Paul reveled in that. Real prayer for real people filled with the real Holy Spirit. So church, pray this for one another. Pray this for your children, your grandchildren, your husband, your wife, your friends, your church. And so here is the prayer that we can pray for one another. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of And praise of God to the glory and praise of God. Would you bow with me please for prayer? In a moment we will stand and Brother Gary will lead us in our song of invitation. We offer the invitation because we know that in this room there are some who have not yet trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. And the invitation from the risen Christ through the Holy Spirit is to you, to your heart this morning to get up from your seat, come and place your hand in mine and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. A member of our staff will be here to pray with you, to show you God's word, to encourage you and to help you come into a saving relationship with Jesus this morning. So when we stand, will you come? And church, can we make this verse, verses, these verses, 9, 10, and 11, can we make these verses prayer that we would pray for our family, for our friends, for our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church? Can we make this our prayer for one another? So, Father, draw someone to yourself this morning for your praise, your honor, and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and as we sing.